This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Elias Pedersen was parked in front, but it's Andre Kuzmenko who shovels it home. The lead, as mentioned, he's now a 30 goal scorer, but the Ducks score right off the draw in the Vancouver zone. As it ends up past Thatcher Demko, and just like that, Anaheim has equalized. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Miller picking up speed from his own line. Finds his way to center, right wing into the Anaheim zone. Miller near circle, shoots, he scores! JT Miller calls game! On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win their third straight game. Elias Pettersson with two points. JT Miller with two goals. Canucks victorious 4-3. Oh, sorry. 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks. Almost gave too many goals in this game. Too much. I'm used to too many goals getting scored. Uh, this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar. And let's bring in Randeep Janda into the conversation in just a moment's time. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. And as the game story goes, the two Canucks players who really were the team's best were the number one and number two center, Elias Patterson and JT Miller tonight. And that's pretty much as simple as the game story gets if you also sprinkle in a few saves with Thatcher Demko. That's right, and I think if you go back to that 1-1 goal where JT Miller, Elias Pettersson did the work shorthanded, remember prior to that, this team was not playing all that well 5-on-5 five five in the opening period, but guys, the penalty kill actually gives them confidence, which is something that took a while to get to this point, but as a, that Toronto game seems like a bit of a turning point for the Canucks and that penalty kill where they're being aggressive, Miller and Pettersson, and they get another shorthanded goal tonight to give their team confidence, and after that, they built off of that. Obviously, the penalty kill has been a sore subject through the course of the year, but they gave up one shot on the power play tonight. They only took penalties in that first period, so it came on a five-on-three. They didn't give up a shot on five-on-three, and ultimately match a shot against with the goal four. Awesome night for the special teams for the Canucks. Well, and one trend we've seen continued improvement, like Bick mentioned, special teams, but all, the PK. Yeah. And it's obviously getting some saves, but we've, we had JT Miller on during the first intermission, and he really talked about the changes they made on their PK the last month or so, and they're really starting to gain some confidence with that, and they're playing a lot better on the PK. It shows that it never should have been as bad as it was. The PK, I don't know if they have a good penalty killing unit in terms of the personnel they have here, but what they're doing on the PK has certainly changed and helped them, and that was a big part of their success tonight. Like Bick mentioned, there was a 5-on-3 in the first. They had to kill off. And on that 5-on-3, there's a, a key stick there by Quinn Hughes that relieves pressure right off the bat with 38 seconds on 5-on-3 hockey, and that, you know, that gives the team confidence. Later on, JT Miller plug, plugging up the shooting lanes, blocking a shot. It's plays like that. We didn't necessarily see earlier on this year. And Noah Juleson this morning was talking about, hey, we're just getting the opportunity to kill penalties at the NHL level is something that they take pride in. So, guys, different personnel, especially on the back end, is helping too. There are some guys that maybe have been playing in the AHL all year long. Yeah. But they have been killing penalties for the most part better than the previous group uh, earlier on this year. So part of his system, I think part of it is also a little bit of a, a new personnel that's been on the ice for this as well. So credit to... I think the coaching staff to get him up to speed, but the guys have been stepping up too. That's really the surprising part about this, right? Because we talked about, hey, what's the last 
25 game is going to look like, and there's been some injuries. Obviously, they make a couple of trades. Shen goes out and whatnot. And the AHL guys have stepped in mm-hmm. seamlessly. Is there a talent gap? Yeah, of course. But as far as functional play, it's been very impressive from, to see what the AHL guys have done. Yeah, I, I agree. And part of that also is... Not to overstate the system stuff, but it's just the predictability of it, right? And this is something that Talk had also mentioned today, that how they're playing in Abbotsford is similar to how they're trying to play in Vancouver. And the responsibilities and what's being asked of the defenseman is similar to what's being asked there and what's being asked here. So if you come into the NHL, and it's a completely different game, but if what you're being asked to do is not too dissimilar from what you're doing, and everybody else does what they're supposed to do most of the time, it becomes a lot easier for these guys to step in and to give you the types of minutes they're giving you. So I think part of it is... Yes, individual players you have to give them credit for, but what actually having some alignment and having some predictability in how you play can mm-hmm. go a long way. Well, the thought process of that even precedes Rick Talkie. Remember Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford said at the end of last year, players need to know where their teammate will be, right? So setting up that predictability. And something that we saw, remember that the talent gap aspect that you mentioned, Bick. If we go back to Rutherford and Alvin and Talkett's days with Sergey Gonchar in Pittsburgh, there's a bit of a talent gap there as well. Chris Letang, Justin Schultz were the top two guys on the back end. And then after that, respectively, there's a bunch of guys that turned into players later on. But at the beginning, there were a bunch of guys. Dumoulin was there. Dumoulin was there. But Dumoulin, at the beginning of his Pittsburgh career, wasn't the same guy that, you know, a couple sure, years he later. Became. He became, right? So my point being that it's something that we've seen in previous, you know, regime as well in Pittsburgh, where they took guys that played in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, gave them an opportunity, but they fell back on that system. It wasn't necessarily about the individual skill. It was stick to your structure, and if you stick to the structure in those moments where there is a breakdown, you'll be fine. We're starting to see that a bit here with the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you're seeing it at the moment, right, and how much of that can get translated? The thing that can get translated is actual habits forming, and I think those are the positive things in terms of how you're playing the predictability of it. And, and this wasn't a fun air hockey game. It was, it was a really boring yeah. hockey game for the most part. And even for a team like Anaheim, who's very permissive, I thought they, for the most part, had, had a pretty structured defensive posture as well tonight. You know, So there wasn't a lot happening tonight. Both teams are trying, I think, to I do mean, their best. there was a 10-minute stretch there where the Ducks were just trying to flip it out and hopefully oh, yeah. the guy breaking well, the zone could beat out an icing or get to the puck first in the Canucks zone. Well, it's, uh, yeah, exactly with how the Ducks were trying to play. All right, let's go outside the Canucks locker room. We're joined by Canucks defenseman Christian Willannon, who helped the Canucks to victory tonight, 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks. And Christian, thanks for joining us here on Canucks Central postgame show. And, you know, you guys have now won three in a row, and one of the things that the head coach was talking about when asked about guys like yourself stepping into the lineup and playing well defensively is – there is a lot more similarity between how you guys are playing in Abbotsford versus what's being done here in Vancouver. And do you kind of feel like stepping in from Abbotsford to Vancouver, it's been a bit more seamless in terms of what's expected out of you? That's a tough question. I just, um, I, 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 in, in terms of it from an individual aspect, and I'm sure for, for Jules and, and Breezer on the back end and obviously the forwards up front, it's a, it's a completely different game than the American League. Um, but that being said, I heard you guys talking before about habits. And, uh, and and luckily with JC down there, Ags and Alms, the three coaches, uh, they're very detail-oriented. And, and in turn, I think um, the transition's made a lot easier because you, you come up and you're ready to play and you're ready to play the right way um, versus you know coming up and scrambling and having to put it all together because at this level, guys are so good that uh, any little detail, you know, it's going to end up in the back of your net if you're not sharp. 
what has this NHL experience been like for you in Vancouver in relation to uh, the other stops you've had in your career? And, and look, it's, it's nine games, but what are you picking up that you feel like you're becoming more confident in? I'm just thankful. Um, I'm thankful for the staff. I'm thankful for the group of guys. Um, you know, it, always, it hasn't always been easy, you know, and, and, and usually when I come up, it feels like, you know, I know I'll, I'll be up for a short bit and then right back to the minors. And I shouldn't say usually, it's only happened uh, uh, once where I've kind of split time like this. Um, but I, I feel thankful for the staff. They've given me opportunity. I, I've obviously made mistakes, um, as we all do, but um, I don't feel like I'm going to be sat for my mistakes or, or kind of talked down to. I feel like the mistakes are taught and, and taught right on the spot, and then it's up to me to go out there and correct them and try not to make them again. So uh, I would use the word thankful for, for the opportunity and, and again, uh, for, for the way that the staff has treated me and along with the guys in the locker room. Yeah, you get another uh, opportunity to play, and you do play a fair bit tonight as well, uh, 20 minutes and five seconds. Last game was over 20 minutes as well. You're getting a lot of confidence from the coaching staff. Uh, what does that mean to you on a personal level as well, just to the ability to play minutes? Well, I think it's – uh, I think most guys could say this, but in in my own experiences, uh, the more the more I'm able to be into the game and kind of find a groove and, and some rhythm to the game, I think the better I play. And and like I said, when you go out there and you know that if you make a mistake and it's not a glaring one, you know, and you're, you're working hard to correct it, uh, you're going to get another shot to go back out there. And as a player, I think that's all you can ask for. And um, I've always kind of, like I said, I think everybody can say this, so I'm not special, but I always think that uh, if I can play over, you know, 13 to, to 15 minutes and get into a groove and kind of not sit too much and just continue to to go out there every third shift or every second shift wherever it might be uh, i'm confident in my abilities to help this team win hockey games you've obviously had a couple of stretches uh with ottawa where you played more games uh, in the nhl for over a stretch but it's nine is ten games now with vancouver since coming up and based on what we've seen you know you've played really well do you feel like your game is that a different level today than what it's been before? Like, do you think you're you're on the verge of playing your best hockey here at the at the NHL level? Yeah, I think uh, with the exception of my rookie year, where I was about a half a point a game, and and that's really where uh, you know, I, again, I had a staff that believed in me and played me a whole lot and, and gave me opportunity. Uh, this is the most opportunity I've had in my career to to this point. Um, and again, I, I can't give enough credit to the staff for for believing in me and giving me opportunity and. Um, as for prime and, and whatever, playing my best hockey, um, I think I've I've sat a lot the last few years, so I'm I'm kind of just getting back into the rhythm of things. And it started in Abbotsford again, so credit to them. And um, I'm thankful that it's uh, carrying on to this level. And, and like I said, the most important thing is winning hockey games, and I think we've been doing a good job of that. Hey, Christian, thanks for your time, man. Good on getting to victory, and uh, hopefully you guys keep doing good things the rest of the season. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, you got it. That's Christian Willanen, Canucks defenseman, uh, talking about his game. and His game has been notable, right, in terms of how well he's played. People are texting in saying, safe to say the Canucks are not missing OEL. And I would say this. The only thing I would say is, and, and I think Christian Willanen has been fantastic, he played 20 minutes tonight. Yep. That's like he hasn't really had too many games where he's played 20 minutes for Vancouver. It's a different ask when your minutes go up and your responsibilities go up, and he's done really well in a somewhat of a sheltered role so far. Tonight, tonight a bit more, and I think that was impressive. It is the Anaheim Ducks, of course. I don't want to get too ahead and say oh, this guy can play every day in the NHL on a good team, maybe even has potential to be more than that. But everything he's shown so far in these games where he's been called up, every challenge he's been face with he's done a pretty good job of passing so far and that's all you can really do and all we can judge him on is the games he's played so far no for sure and you know even this morning he was talking about how he thought he had a pretty good camp and I think a lot of this market did too so he he felt like he should have made the team but you go back to Abbotsford you work on your game and he's come out you know a much more confident player what I like about his game is that the ability to skate right mm -hmm. you just 
when we're make, ma- making that comparison with Oliver Ekman Larson at this point in his career, yeah, this is a guy that has offensive upside. He can make that pass, but the ability to skate right now, Christian Olanen is giving them something different. And guys, uh, on a personal level as well, just those ups and downs of thinking you can make it to the NHL. You mentioned the Ottawa experience and being humbled and going down to the AHL and working back and forth. It's great to see him, you know, to be playing at the NHL level. But guys, I think... He is offering something different with the skating ability that, yeah, at this point in his career, Oliver Ekman Larson did not have. Mm-hmm. And he did show something in, in certain moments in his you know first couple of years in Vancouver that he could play at times a physical game. But I think Willannon just offers something different that is a little bit more progressive when it comes to this game that at this point, Oliver Ekman Larson this season can't really provide. Progressive, it, expansive, some soccer, soccer terminology being thrown in. I it, love it. It's just very fluid when he you moves know around <laughs> on the ice, right? We have a text here, safe to say the Canucks are not missing Oliver Ekman Larson. And look, there's a PK component where OEL does eat minutes that someone like Christian Willannon isn't going to play on the PK. It's 26 seconds tonight, but generally speaking, uh, Willannon is not going to be out there. That's also because Breezeball and Burroughs took the penalty, so the D-man had to go out there. But... Five on five, someone like Will Lannan to, to what you're talking about, the skating, just he, he, maybe not the most explosive skater and maybe not as lateral dynamic as Quinn Hughes, but he just gets about the ice all the yeah. time and he's ticking along with the play perfectly. He's in the right spots and it's just defensive awareness is the thing that's, that's really got to round out and work on it in the summer and hopefully he comes back because I think there's a player there. But at the very least, man, that is good organizational depth to have. Well, there was one moment in the third period. I think it was Phil DiGiuseppe that was kind of coming in on the right-hand side, had no support. He was solo. And Wolanin kind of helps out a little bit just to just mm-hmm. to get in place in case the puck comes around the other side. It doesn't. And by that time, the Canucks do a line change. And Wolanin, you know, using his speed, using his skating, is he's able to go back and forth. There's certain defensemen that are not as fleet of foot that you can't really trust to make it back in time. Willannon has that versatility, right? So at least he can recover. Exactly. And he can give you that option where at this point, and we'll see, Oliver ekman Larson, if he comes back next year, uh, is he healthier? Uh, that's a big if. We'll see, waiting, you know, if he can provide that. But at this point in time, Willannon provides that, and OEL wasn't able to provide that earlier this year. You know what he kind of reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of the way we oftentimes saw Travis Dermott play. And maybe not quite, like, I think... Wolanin's probably slightly better with his just overall puck rushing ability, but both are speedy players. Dermot's not a great defender, but he recovers really well. Like there's athleticism mm-hmm. to their play, so I think there's some similarities there. And, you know, in back-to-back games now, he's played 20 minutes and, and acquitted himself well. So Christian Wolanin doing everything he can to stay in the National Hockey League with this sample here, with the Canucks nine games so far here uh, in Vancouver. Now, before we let you go. Got to talk about Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned Patterson, we mentioned JT Miller. Obviously, the Canucks don't win this game if Andre Kuzmenko doesn't get a bounce in his 30th goal of the season. I mean, what else do we say about this first-year NHL player who's now scored 30 goals, something that's only happened twice in, in, in Canucks history where first-year players have scored 30 goals? One was Trevor Linden. The Not other bad. was Pavel Bure. That's pretty decent company when it comes to this uh, franchise. But with Kuzmenko, even in certain games where maybe he's not – you haven't seen him flash all that much, but the ability to make that play in tight, right? He's got those hands, and it's luck for sure. Goes off of Mason McTavish, but the ability to... to what I like is that he's willing to take on you know defensemen. He's willing to, to be very direct in his game. And even the last game, guys, Talkett sits him for, what, five minutes in that second mm-hmm. period. I like the fact that it doesn't really... 
you know, unravel him as an individual. Yeah. His whole he, evening isn't spoiled. Exactly. You know, there's a he, lot of players. He's just in this too happy go lucky, man. There's a, no. I actually ran into him after the game last time around, and he was he's you know in the elevator saying, "All right, good night," and good night. just like you know, the, yeah, he was benched for five minutes in the second period. All happy. He's all it good. Doesn't matter to Andre Kuzmenko. That's what I like. The skill is one thing, but the ability to bounce back after, you know, being sat for five minutes and talk it brings him back in the third period, and he's ready to go. Uh, that's what I like. The attitude is is. You know, the skill is one thing, but the attitude going with that, perfect. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Randy, great stuff calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor, and we'll chat with you coming up in not too long a time. Next week, the Canucks are back home again on Tuesday. That's right. Enjoy Saturday night, guys. The Ottawa Senators are coming to town. Well, we'll do our best. You'll be, you have hockey night duties, so we won't chat with you on Saturday, but we'll have you back again next week. Great stuff, as always, from Randy Janda. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line as well, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, a lot of the, the, the takes on uh, the tank going wrong. Just in the coot says, Tank Nation is absolutely missing OEL. That's one text. And this one says, Stupid Canucks going to go on a winning streak. It will not help us land Bedard. Stop winning now. But not everybody likes that. I mean, it thinks that way. Tam, Sam says, What a great game. Sorry, Tankers. And this one unsigned. Love the Canucks. Wait till next year. It's pretty much been the same varied polarizing responses we see after Canucks victories. We'll keep the conversation going. Canucks win 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks as Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar. We'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett and more on the other side on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Miller picking up speed from his own line. Finds his way to center. Right wing into the Anaheim zone. Miller near circle. Shoots. He scores! JT Miller calls game! The Canucks win it just 20 seconds into overtime. They beat the Ducks 3-2 tonight in Vancouver. Canucks victorious on this Wednesday evening over the Anaheim Ducks. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also, also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. And Bick, um, before we get to some player reaction and keep breaking this game down, what are the people saying on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650? Quite a bit. Yes. Quite a bit. <laughs> uh, should I just rip a Band-Aid off for all the people texting in about Bedard? Yeah. He got goal number 60 tonight. 60. <laughs> 60. Just to enrage people even more. Yeah. 60th goal in 49 games for uh, Connor Bedard. <laughs> uh, 650, 650. Jazzy, JT trying to screw, screw over the team's lottery odds on purpose. What a waste <laughs> of a bad game. Results don't matter. My foot. Uh, uh, Jazzy uh, says, how do non-tankists even exist after this dreadful decade? What's wrong with people? That's Jazzy. And then, then Robin Abbey says, team tank and suck it. So it's like going back and forth. People just <laughs> yelling at each other in our text inbox. Tyler with uh, with a good joke for per 60. Kuzmenko doesn't get benched. He takes banana breaks. Oh. 
Strong one. Yeah. Strong one. And this one. So how soon do the Canucks trade their late first round pick? Hashtag tank for Fantilli uh, is a text uh, coming this in. This one, Omar and East Van. Kuzmenko and his undying positive attitude is like Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. Hockey is life, amigos. Danny Rojas. Football is life. <laughs> Hockey is life. All right. Uh, yeah, but but a lot of anger, as you would expect, on our text. Every, every time the Canucks win, people get so angry on our text inbox. I understand. And, you know, I, I got this. Um, I understand, though, like the the conflicting emotions after a win right now. And Paul uh, on Twitter sent, sent me a tweet, and I totally understand what he's saying. And he said, I'm having a hard time watching the game. I honestly don't know if I, if I cheer or cheer or be upset after every goal. It's almost as if I don't have an identity. Is this what it means to be a 2023 Canuck? Are we all Canucks now? I can't be the only one who feels this way. And, and I think that's an honest way that Paul's, you know, communicating how he's feeling because it's like you're conditioned to watch your team win hockey games and want them to win hockey games and there's a natural reaction when your favorite team scores and that's to cheer and it's a natural reaction to be happy when your team wins those are natural inherent reactions that people have learned learned behavior over decades of being sports fans so all of a sudden even if your brain knows it's best for you to get some losses I can't fault you for being conflicted in it, right? Now, like Jazzy says, there are a lot of fans who have been here for decades, and they've seen this story before, so they just don't have any time for it. And the one thing I would say is, you have so many different fans that are different ages, from different eras, different experiences. There are going to be completely different outlooks and feelings about this, but I think Paul summed it up really well. For a lot of people, it's very conflicting when you know what's best for the team long-term in terms of draft position, and then also looking at your favorite team actually winning hockey games. Yeah, I've said this a few months ago. We're going to launch into a rebuild, retool conversation <laughs> here. Because for, for what Jazzy was texting about, it's like, how can you keep doing this? It's going to be another decade. Of, or it's been similar to the last decade of what this upcoming offseason can look like. I feel like we need to re change the definition or change the label. People like labels because it's comfortable. Say, hey, this is what this is. If this is a retool on the fly, then you have to change what happened in 2014. You, you have to change whatever that label was. Yeah. Or if that was a retool on the fly, you have to re, relabel what this is. There are two separate worlds that they live in. When you had 34, 35-year-old Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and you invested in 33-year-old Redeem Verbata, and you're trading for Lyndon Vase. And the first round pick and the second yeah. round pick you gave up, which was a pick players selected later in the first round of Jared McCann, and a second round pick to get Eric Goodbranson, didn't make sense at the time. It, yeah, it was fraught with peril. And those were egregious mistakes that should have resulted in the termination of the, the GM much earlier than eight years. Yes. Those were bad decisions at a bad time. And it was a bad idea then. And look, it happened. And people wanted to label it, hey, this is not a retool on the fly. It's a bad way of doing it. But to come into this year, and again, I'll just read you some of the players. It's like Nick Benino was on that team. Mm-hmm. 33-year-old Alex Burrows. 31-year-old Chris Higgins. It was at the end, and the only young player you had was Bo Horvat at 19 years old. That was it. He was and playing he, your he was bottom like 34-year-old Ryan Miller, too. It just it wasn't a good idea to do the retool on the fly. If you are a new regime and you come into this team and you take over and you look at 
23-year-old Elias Pettersson, 22-year-old Quinn Hughes, and this is when Alvin and Rutherford had taken over. 24-year-old Brock Besser and, and Thatcher Demko. This is a different retool on the fly. It just... The, the world that they live in is different than when they did 2014. They shouldn't have done it then. That doesn't mean they shouldn't do it now. Well, I, I, and I think ultimately what it comes down to and is... Are you trying to expedite things again a bit too soon when you can wait six months to a year? Which I think is a fair thing we, we and talked about. you can have about. misguided ambition, absolutely. Yeah, right? And I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is, you're right, it's a different regime, different circumstances, but there's also the one constant in, in terms of it being the same ownership. That's of course. the same thing. And I think that's what people look at and say, well, we've seen the same constant, the same type yes. of planet. It's failed before. Why will it work this time? And ultimately, it's, it's very simple, but it's just win your decisions. Right, like we yes. we talk about the decisions. Like, had the Canucks traded back then, right? Traded traded McCann in a first round pick for righty defenseman who was actually good. Maybe he would have worked out a little bit, right? If they would have traded for a second line center who was actually a second line center and not a third line center, maybe it would have worked a little bit. And even then, it's still fraught with yeah. peril because you're trying to put together the supporting cast players when you don't have the foundational long term pieces. That yet. was a house of cards. Yes, yeah, so you, exactly. Now, at least I can understand the logic, even though. Sure, there are different pathways to go about this, and I know fans want the, the bigger rebuild. But you're right. As much as the principle in terms of the top of the organization is still the same, a lot of the circumstances are different. And this could work if you get your decisions right. What's scary, though, is there's not a lot of margin for error. Like the Heronic deal, you got, you got zero chance of that being a, a bad move. Like if, if you fail that trade, it's you're kind of screwed. Like you, you can't get that deal wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So that and everything but else, you get right. There's a baseline, like at very worst. Okay, like what's the worst case for for Philip Peronik? He's a second line or second pairing D man. I'd say no. I'd say worst case scenario, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be skies falling, and I'm not. Like I think he is a top four guy, but there is a chance. Like, hey, what you saw this year wasn't quite what it was. He's a number five. Okay, but even even production wise in his career in Detroit. You still half point again. Oh, sure. I mean, but yeah. I mean, I- I'm okay with you scoring points. But can you play a game where you keep your head above water? This is the first year. Who sure. And and I think he will. Right. Mm-hmm. My point being, sometimes you're in a build where you trade a first and a second, and if you get it wrong, it's not the end of the world. The Canucks are in a spot now where there's such little margin mm-hmm. for error, they can't get these moves wrong. So you're kind of on this high wire act to some degree. Sure. And I think that creates a little trepidation because it's like you literally can't make you can't get this one wrong. The, the the point on the text and, and the point I'm trying to make here is, if you want to say this is the same thing, you also have to recognize that the input variables are also significantly different. And so it's it, you can call them both retools on the fly. I'm fine with that. But you also have to recognize that when you have young pieces rather than old pieces, that's part of the equation too. And just saying here they go, they're doing the same thing. Okay, but it's different elements in it completely. Yeah, it's different. I think there are a lot of differences about it, right? Uh, We have a lot of reaction on a text inbox, 650-650, except this team does not have the prospects or the cap space. A retool has no chance of creating a cup contender. No chance. Basic math. I don't think that's basic math, but I understand what you're trying to say. Uh, Chris from Happy Happy Nanaimo, just because Benning's retool on the fly didn't work doesn't mean Alvin's will. I'm conflicted too, but I love watching Kuz score. He's a breath of fresh air. As long as we don't trade our first, we still are going to get a decent pick this year. So score away, Chris Happy Happy from Nanaimo. So, I mean, a lot of those thoughts going back and forth in terms of how, how fans are feeling, but as far as Kuzmenko is concerned, 
30 goals now. In terms of what we thought he was going to be and what he continues to show that he is and can be, what should we shift our sights towards in terms of our expectations for Andre Kuzmenko from this point on? Do this again. If he winds up with 36 goals this year, the bar is still going to be 30 next year. Because even if with, with some levels of regression, right, like 36, if he drops down to 25, that's pretty stark. The goal should be, especially if he's getting first line minutes and power play one time, the goal should still be 30 goals. Mm-hmm. And also, this like this isn't a young guy. He's going to be, sure, second year player, but it's not like he's going to be 21 years old and dealing with success. Like he's an older man. You should understand as a professional, this is what I have to do, get my body ready. This is what I have to do, I have to be mentally engaged. Sure, some money's going to come your way, but my expectation as a veteran professional player, maybe not a veteran in the NHL, my expectation is still 30 goals next year for Andre Kuzmenko. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think 30 goals is the expectation for sure. The one thing I do believe he can provide more of, and we saw some of the plays tonight, the playmaking overall. He seems like a smart enough player that if teams crowd him, he'll find the open space to the open guy. But the thing I like about him, too, as much as he looks for a shot, he tries to get things going, how often do you see him get his shots blocked or force shots? If it's not there, he'll find the opening. And that's what was exciting to me about, about Kuzmenko. That I think there's another layer in his playmaking that we haven't really seen yet that I don't think has been forced out of him quite yet. Why would you say that? Like, like... Sorry, what happens? What has to happen for that to to occur? I think what has to. I mean, I think part of it is right now he's he's getting a lot of space to get his shot off. Mm-hmm. Right. What's going to happen is teams are going to defend him a bit differently. Sure. And I think based on a lot of that, a lot of his play is going to be okay. Teams are going to be making it will make it difficult for me to get my shot off. How do I help facilitate the play? And I saw a couple point times where his vision is right there and it's very, very obvious what he's looking to do. So I think. That level of his game, once you get into next year, if, if teams adjust to him, I think he can take another step playmaking-wise. Because if you go back to watching him in the KHL when he had more time with the puck and you look to facilitate play, he's actually a really good playmaker. has really good vision from the half wall as well. He's really focused in on finding the soft spots and scoring goals and doing all those things because that's essentially all he's been asked to do. I think there's more there in terms of taking the game on. I think we've seen more of that anytime he's been forced to play on the third line when he's the only real driver on a line. He's able to still create some of that. And I'm not saying take away from, from Pedersen, but as he becomes more and more confident, I think there's more growth to his game that's that's potential there. I'd be curious to see where he lands on the power play next year, too. Is he going to be relegated to the net front? I shouldn't say relegated, but is he going to maintain that spot? Is it going to be more machinations that change? Because will he maybe go to the flank where he obviously had success in the KHL to handle the puck a bit more and be a bit more of an active shooter? Uh, you know, can Quinn Hughes handle more of the playmaking responsibility and let JT go to the fr- uh, front of the net? Be interesting to see if that's another wrinkle or if, or if he goes to the bumper. The bumper feels like it'd be a, a stretch because they don't seem to want to navigate the power play through Pedersen and get that pass into the, the middle for him. But yeah. it's another opportunity uh, for him to maybe come out a bit to the flank on the power play as well. Well, yeah, and, and I think... We'll see if he comes out to those flanks. And in terms of the bumper spot, just you mentioned the power play. One of the stories we were following based on what head coach uh, Rick Talk had said about Anthony Pavilia playing the bumper spot. They wanted guys to get more retrievals and hunt pucks down a bit more. 
I mean, the power play didn't even get on the ice tonight. And and, and that's the thing, right? They didn't really get much of a power play opportunity. But that's the, the other thing that you're trying to figure out here is, do the Canucks have their fifth guy for the power play? Probably not. Like, is, is Ampavilia well, the like, ideal guy? Probably not long-term. No. It's probably not Besser, especially with his place in the organization. Same thing with, with um, Garland, obviously. Mikheyev has a good shot. He can hunt pucks. But is his shot good enough in that spot? I guess if Pavilia can play there, why can't Mikheyev? Find me the guy in with the draft pick or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't think that's Mikheyev's spot. We saw, I, got, I got a couple texts here. This one says... What about Kraftsoff in terms of how he's played and what he's done? I think Kraftsoff tonight, it's kind of what we've seen, work in progress. He's raw. He has a lot of tools. What would have to happen for him to take a bigger role on a power play? He plays in the bumper spot on power play too, or has been since coming over. We had a discussion the other day about JT Miller and long-term line mates for him. The Canucks so desperately need another star player up front, right? Like a star guy next to JT. And maybe the draft pick will see what happens. What's the what's the potential of Kraftsaw becoming a player who can play with JT? Can he get ten points in the league first? Like, let's slow down. Oh, long term. There, we're looking at long term. I'm not saying like today. We're just talking no, about like. I'm not even sure. Next year. Oh, I mean, we're talking years down the road. There's a lot of rawness, and I think you can see the intent of what he's trying to do. But there is a ton of rawness to Vitaly Kraftsaw's game. It's going to take some work. It, there's been some exciting things that we can talk about, but I think in the role that he's in right now, that's to me that have success in that role for a season. Because there's a lot of work to do, but you can see the elements that are really exciting. The natural ability to craft his game. Tonight, you know, 1245. Is it always consistent? Like one shift he can look fantastic, the next shift you can see the, the warts, and the next shift it's explosive and you can fly around the ice, and the next shift it's it just smoothing out the consistency. But he's got elements for sure. But you, you see it in flashes. Yeah, it's, it's a lot he has to put together. There's a willingness, mm-hmm. it seems like, to be there, but how much work does he put into the offseason? And can he stick it out? Like it may take two or three years for him to become the player he needs to be. Does he have the patience for it? To, to, to grind through it in the NHL to get to that stage. It's hard to exist in this league, man. It really is, right? And I think that's a big big part of it. Uh, Ron Hronick, Hughes, Patterson, Miller, and Kuz on the power play. I just wonder if they run two, two defensemen on the same unit. It flies in the face of... Conventional thinking. Now, some teams do it. Teams that have a couple of DD men. Ultimately, I'd, I'd be surprised if they do it here. But I do understand the pull to Juan Ronick's shot, his righty bomb, on the power play. Like it's, I get why people would want it. Because if you can set up a point shot with a righty, right, right point shot, we've seen it here in the past. Like Whether it was guys like Sammy Salo, right? I mean, sure. that's a real deadly weapon from the point. If you have a right-hand shot, that's heavy. But it kind of needs to be your quarterback. Yeah, so my question was going to be, where's Quinn Hughes then? Yeah, and I think what that does is if you want to put Ronick on the half wall to get a shot off, then he's not a facilitator, then it doesn't make sense. Like we you, saw the Sharks do that with Burns and Carlson. Didn't work out and very it, well. It had moments. It could be explosive, but it wasn't probably what they envisioned. You really don't need to overthink this. Yeah. Quinn Hughes with the power play, four forwards. We really don't need to overthink this. No, 100%, right? Uh, there are a lot of things you kind of look at, and 
I just don't think is going to get there. This text says the Canucks need players to outperform their contracts. How many players do the Canucks have that could potentially outperform their contracts? I think, what, in, in two years, Demko has three years, he can outperform his contract. Uh, I think Hughes is outperforming his contract right now. When Patterson gets an extension, it'll be difficult when he's in double digits. But yeah, I mean, they also need to get some value contracts. Like, you look at Hironik, how did they get him signed? What type of deal is he going to be under? You look at Kuzmenko. They're going to need guys to pop. There's a lot of work this team needs. Nobody's under illusion you're going to figure this out in one offseason. There's a lot of things that they do have to do. The question is if you believe they have a chance to do so or not at all. And some people believe they have zero chance. Basic math. I just think your math is faulty in that sense. Uh, Brandon in Vancouver. For me, the big difference with this management group is I believe in their competence much more. They can actually identify and acquire good players, whereas Benning and Co. got AHL-level talent. That's Brandon in Vancouver texting in. Yeah, that's the thing. It's... They bet on projections and paid a premium for it. They thought Lyndon Vay was going to be an NHLer. They thought Sven Berchi was going to be a regular NHLer. On and on and on. They thought Brandon Sutter was going to be a second liner. They missed and paid a premium for it. Vitaly Kravtsov cost them nothing. A bunch of players that they brought in, like Ethan Bear, cost them nothing. The one that they've paid a price on is Philip Peronik. And I would say, like... At worst, I think Philip Rowling is going to be a second-pairing guy. At worst. And we talked a lot about the upside yesterday, or on Monday. Talked a lot about the contract this more, or earlier on Canuck Central. If it wins, you could get a pairing with Quinn Hughes. And that's why the contract is really interesting. And we had the text about how many guys can outperform their contract. If you sign Philip Pronick this summer... There's a way, and then pair him with Quinn Hughes. There's a way to get that to outperform his contract. Well, and I think part of it too is what if Kuzmenko is here long term? What does his long term deal look like? And C- uh, Curtis Olin says almost every second year player has a regression, and that's what's going to be interesting about Kuzmenko next year because his shooting percentage is super high. He might be a better player next year, or just not be as productive. And that's what I kind of wonder: are there other layers to his game if his goal scoring goes down? And I think the playmaking could 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 emerge. But in terms of getting him to a contract, if they want to negotiate an extension next year and he has an okay year. Could that be a contract you sign that's a three- or four-year extension, if not longer, that he can outperform? Those are things you're going to have to hit on, right, for them to be able to take that step. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, like this one. Isn't Bedard going to be, get the spot on the power play next year? Jokes for 60. You hope so. Certainly. Some people say it's not going to happen. They'll never win Bedard. Some believe it might happen. We'll get to more of your text messages, messages but coming up next, head coach Rick Tockett as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on. Canucks win 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks. It's Satin Pick on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post-game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win the draw, get it down the ice. Pedersen in front for Miller, shorthanded, he scores! They've done it again. Elias Pedersen and JT Miller combined for their third shorthanded goal in the last three games to tie it at one. Canucks win 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, and a lot of love uh, coming in tonight for a number of Canucks players, Andre Kuzmenko and Elias Pettersson, and our friend Jeffro says, 
I loved Miller's play tonight. One of the only guys showing emotion, and he also thought Myers played well. Other than a major uh, gaffe a few weeks ago, he's been playing a lot better lately. And he had a moment tonight, but I thought it was uh, Pedersen. I know Myers got criticized for that breakaway opportunity that happened uh, with the turnover at the blue line. That's not his fault. That's a bad play by Elias Pedersen to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, he's already going lateral, moving away from the boards. Pedersen gets it out of his reach. He can't really corral it. That's just a bad play by Pedia that puts uh, Myers in a bad spot. In that spot, he should be getting the puck low. That's a value play you got to make when you're in the offensive zone, not to try to go up when uh, a, a defenseman's moving off uh, the wall and a, there's a pressure as well from an ongo- uh, oncoming uh Defender, I kind of put that on Pedersen to put Myers in that position more than anything, even though it looks bad because he's the guy turning the puck over, but it's more about who put him in that spot. And I think that one was kind of was on PD. I understand the point Jeffro was making, but JT Miller, uh, he's been terrific uh, the last little bit, right? And we were discussing this on the on the pregame show and even during the intermissions about his game under Rick Tockett and playing down the middle. He got his fourth goal now, and he's got what, 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 16 points in 17 games? Or 18 games now, 17 and 18. Since Rick Tockett took, took over, over, he's a pointer game player. It is now uh, 17 and 17. Yeah, and he's got what five goals in that span. So the goals are going up a little bit. He's up to 23 now on his season. Had the game winner tonight in overtime, and you know he's he's played a lot better, not just offensively scoring, being at, being at a point per game, but defensively he's been stronger. He's been plus a plus three in that stretch. Yeah, and he was a big minus earlier in the season. Still minus on the season. I think he's, what, about minus 13 on the year right now or minus 12 on the year, something along those lines. But it has been a lot cleaner for him more recently here um, and been a lot better defensively, and it's gone a long way. Now, uh, as far as what the head coach thinks about this game, well, Rick Tockett, who will hear, here are his thoughts after the Canucks win their third straight game of the season. Th- third straight game uh, so far, first time it's happened in the new year, and here is Rick Tockett. Yeah, I liked our third a lot. I thought we had a lot of possession time. Um, you know, I liked most of our game. You know, maybe a little more net front inside stuff. When you have a lot of possession, um, I think Anaheim did a good job of getting out to our D. But we uh, we resetted the puck and had some possession time. It was good. I, I, I thought the guys worked hard. Another shorthanded goal for your group as well. Yeah. How impressed are you with those guys' ability to create way down there? Yeah, I mean, that was a big goal, obviously, in the, killing the five on three. It's been a couple of times we've killed a five on three in the last two weeks. PK's doing good. Yeah, Mike Yo's been doing a good job with it right now. First period felt a bit sloppy defensively, though, didn't it? Yeah, we were very cute the first six, seven minutes, and we, we warned the guys about that. Um, you know, just not, you know, you just got to be ready to play the same way. And I thought that the second part of the 10 were, we were better. You've talked a little bit at times about tough love with Kuzmenko or trying to get messages through, but through it all, he's been remarkably consistent in his production. Career. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a guy that he hits home run. You know, we just don't need him striking out sometimes. Like, he's just got to make sure he plays a good team game, and he's trying. He's doing a nice job there uh, most of the time, but, you know, there's just games where we got to make sure we manage the puck. We can't just throw, you know, I know Goals and assists are great, but you know we got to be careful with turnovers because that's a that's one thing that this team will do a lot in the past, and I haven't seen it much uh, the last couple weeks. They're starting to really buy in. I, I, I give the players a lot of credit. They're doing it. They're doing a hell of a job right now. So, you know, like I said, just got to keep the turnovers to a minimum and, and play uh, north south style hockey. You've had a run of 
pretty featured marquee opponents come in here, the Leafs, the Bruins, yeah. the Rangers. Yeah. There's going to be nights where maybe the atmosphere and the enthusiasm isn't in the building, kind of felt that way early on. Like, do guys have to find a way to generate their own? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, uh, you know, good teams, you know, you play consistently, it doesn't matter who you play. Obviously, you know, an emotional game when you play the Leafs and stuff, and um Thought we bounced back pretty good against Nashville, but um, you know, it's it's every game's different, and you got to make sure that you rely on your bench to bring that energy and attitude and enthusiasm. What do you think of the Patterson play on the shorthanded goal, just to knock the puck down and eyes in the back of his head type? Of pass? Yeah, just a really instinctual guy. You know, he can, you know, like I said, he can make a lot of plays out of nothing. And then obviously Millsy with you know t- two great shots that I that overtime was a bullet. So. He's got a hell of a... He, he, uh, practice day, we had a morning skin to kick him off the ice. He shot about... He must have shot 75 pucks a day. So uh, hard work pays off, right? What do you think about the offense that's coming from the penalty kill? I mean, JT said they're not trying to create offense. They're just trying to kill penalties. But the opportunities seem to keep coming to those two guys. Yeah, I thought they put pressure on. There's time and place. We want up ice pressure. You know, we just don't want to back off. And that was the right time to do it. Um, and like I said, those guys got some magic right now, the way they're... Uh, the way they're approaching the penalty kill. We've talked a lot about the defenseman you have up from Abbotsford right now. Another strong game for those guys. Yeah, collectively, yeah. Uh, Husey went down there. He got a puck in the mouth, and uh, we went with five for a while. And then Husey came out and obviously gave us some life. But um, yeah, they're 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 listening to the guy, uh, you know, Footy and Sergey, and they're uh, they're worth. They 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 they're sponges. They want to know. They they're learning. They're always in the video room. They're working after practice. That's I give them a lot of credit because, you know, they want to make the NHL and uh, they're looking for a spot. So we'll see what happens. Back to back twenty minute games for Christian Olin. And what you know, what have you seen from him and the growth over the nine games that he's played? Yeah, I, I think he's you know, you know, down the Myers, he was all star and he had he had forty fifty points. You can tell that he can, he's good with a puck, good first pass. Um, I kind of like his poise sometimes. You know, on the blue and walking the blue line. That's tough. Uh, when when defense are co- or when forwards are coming flying at you and he's got the poise to make a play, and his breakouts, I thought he hit the pocket three times and under pressure. That's when you know, you know what's wor- it's working is when you can hit that pocket under pressure. If you can, if you're a team that can do that, that really that can really help uh, against an aggressive forecheck. That was something you guys were, I think, struggling with was hitting the pocket before yeah. you showed up. Was there, was there a piece of? Advice or direction, or was there something that you said you think that's connected that wasn't connecting before? Well, it's a little bit of system stuff. You know, I, they were doing a couple of things that I, that I don't I don't like, so I switched, and uh, they they're buying into it. You know, to, to be honest with you, and uh, it's working. Uh, to me, I, if you if you can, I'm a breakout type of guy. If you can be really good on the breakout and you can hit that pocket, obviously, you know, you're going to hit the, the wall, and there's going to be some reverses and dinks, and I call it dinks, or whatever, but. If you can hit that pocket consistently, it really takes a steam out of the, of the uh, forecheck. It really does on the other team. So um, I saw you're right. I saw about four really nice ones tonight. It's simple stuff, but it's I guess. Well, it's yeah. a lot, it's rep- repetition too. It's system and repetition and being able to and communication. <clears throat> you got to talk. Um, you have to you have to make sure you talk a lot. And I and I'm hearing more voices that I've that I've heard in a long time. Rick is uh, Philip Ronick in town. Yeah, he's here. Yeah, he worked out. Yeah, I talked to him. And is there an update on timeline of? Uh, I don't know the exact timeline. You know, it's probably definitely a week to week type of thing. But um, he worked out today uh, in the gym. So um, 
Yeah, I can't wait to see him play. We're, we're excited. Another puck moving. Guy's got a bomb. So looking forward to it. And when the power play has been such an important offensive catalyst for this team, how nice was it tonight to see enough goals to win with yeah. no power play opportunities? Yeah, I, I, I think obviously uh, it, you know, you, you can't always rely on your power play to win games. And, uh, yeah, we didn't have one tonight, and we still won the game. Yeah. Um, you know, this, the, the, we got a very good power play. Um, but we can't rely on it to win us games all the time. you got to win five-on-five. Five. And like I said, that was a game where not a lot of penalties and it was just a five-on-five five game, which is nice sometimes. When you don't force the other team into taking a penalty, does that concern you that maybe you're not pushing the tempo enough? No, no, not really. I, I thought we had a lot of ozone time. I, yeah, sometimes, you know, usually if you go to the net a little bit more through the middle, uh, you get more penalties. But... You know, I didn't. Th- I thought Anaheim. I thought Anaheim played well today. They they, they played a inside game, and uh, they didn't give us a lot, but they gave us a lot of possession time. That is Canucks head coach Rick talking after a three-two overtime victory over the Anaheim Ducks, and uh, talked about it was a north-south game, and uh, give some kudos to Christian Wolanin. Mentioned he's an all-star, and we had him on obviously right after the game about his puck moving abilities and the poise that he kind of has. Obviously, uh, on EP being instinctual. But on JT, he said JT took about 75 shots at the morning skate. He had to kick him off the ice, but hard work pays off. And the way he wired uh, the puck tonight, it certainly looked like he put some extra work in. Face-offs, too. 12 wins, 3 losses. 80% in the draw for JT. 57% for the team as a whole. It's big. Oh, and JT in the in the faceoff circle is now like up to well over fifty percent on the season, and he had a, you know, we talked about him dealing with something or whatever. Like his faceoff numbers were also down earlier this season, which kind of made you also kind of wonder. But ever since coming to Vancouver, he's been one of the best faceoff guys in the league. Like him and Bull Horvat gave Vancouver one of the best faceoff duos, one-two punches in the league. And obviously you don't have Bo here, but it's good to see JT get his face-off numbers up as well because people had the question. We're asking the question, what's going to happen with Bo out? He's up to 53.6% in the face-off circle on the season. That's not bad from JT Miller. So uh, he's certainly making a difference. Uh, a lot of reaction on text inbox, 650, 650. Um, wh- why are the Canucks not using these 20 games to experiment with lineups and see what could work for next season? That's one question. I'd say they almost are to some extent, right? I mean, what... Else, are it, what else could you do that you're not doing right now, short of throwing guys into the, in the NHL that may not be ready for it? Like, does it make sense to give Kraftsov time with Pedersen and Hughes if he can't hang there? Like, that's my thing. Like, I, we were talking about Kraftsov and you know, mentioned, hey, what can he do long term? Could he be the partner for like? But that's like a couple years down the road if everything comes together. I don't see the upside in putting a guy in a position he can't handle. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I'm all for giving them ice time and bringing them along, but you have to bring them along with a pace that makes sense that they can handle. Otherwise, you're doing a disservice to the player. Go play 19, 20 minutes with Pedersen, not hang, and and perhaps form some bad habits because you're trying to keep up with the play where you can't. And I think about the comment Patrick Alvin made about creating a safe environment. Yes. Right? It's... Our coach is going to put guys in positions where they can't succeed. How are you supposed to build a rapport with a player when you just say, go in the deep end. I don't know how to swim, coach. You're doing great. Oh, and then and then what's going to happen? Fans are going to renounce the players like, he's terrible. Get him out of the organization. Well, you're not putting them in spots where they can thrive. 
you're like asking for the apple to be sweet when it's already rotten. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, what? Like, how's that going to work? Well, that's a great analogy. That is a great. But I mean, and now I'm all for giving guys chances. We want to see young guys get opportunities, but it has to be in this position that makes sense, right? And we we spent so many years talking about how Canucks the Canucks haven't developed players the right way. Some of it is developing it the right way. And development's boring. It yeah, takes time. Now, the one thing I would say, and something that we discussed quite a bit, the ice time is like, you know, why all this ice time? And Quinn Hughes had to go for work, uh, took a puck off the face left, and he's still got 25 minutes, 25 and a half minutes of ice time. It's been hard to keep him off, off the ice, right? And Kevin from Surrey has jokes per 60. Hughes sure has a nose for the puck, eh? Well <laughs> poor guy. Well, well played. played. But poor guy. He's been taking a lot of sticks and pucks to the face uh, this season and hasn't stopped him from being a big-time contributor to the team, however. But, you know, he mentioned the JT Miller stuff, of course. The other thing I thought was interesting, outside of Hironic, we finally got somewhat of an update on Hironic. We'll get to that. Pumping iron. He's working out. Yeah, working out, man. Going to come strong. Going to be ready. Um more voices, as in more talking. He said this is a very quiet group, but a communication on the ice, yep. he said, which is... Which I think is a positive because he really asked guys to do something you're not comfortable doing. Get out of your comfort zone. Speak more. You're quiet, but we need you to be more vocal. The fact that's happening I think is a positive. A small little thing, but something we talked about. A quiet team, not a lot of communication. How can you make a quiet team talk more? It, it's not really hard. Just just do it. And That's like, something. <laughs> that's a little we're talking about making guys a bit uncomfortable and putting them in positions where they're not normally. This is totally different. Listen, this is skating just- and talking. You're an NHL player. You can skate and talk at the same time. You know what I mean? Like you can. That, that's just something that you do or don't do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's just it, like it's something the team needs to improve upon. Yeah. You can hear some of the chatter when the buildings really loud. Obviously, you can't. But you can hear the chatter on the ice. The Canucks do not talk very much, or have not, uh, the last couple of years. And it was especially noticeable in the North Division years because there was nobody in the building. We could hear everything. Yeah. Canucks just didn't talk very much. And I don't mean that as like, oh boy, they're not really friends at all. Just. Helping guys out on the ice, didn't hear a lot of chatter. You're starting to hear a little bit more. It still needs to improve a great deal. But from where they were, yeah, that's another thing that has improved. Yeah, I mean, that's something that that, that, that the head coach mentioned. Now, getting to uh, the newsy thing he mentioned, Philip Hironik is in Vancouver. He was working out today, pumping iron, like Big said. He said there's no timeline, but it's more, more if he had to say week to week. Which means any day now. <laughs> I was going to say, which usually means who knows how long, but it could mean it. Sure. So how soon? Maybe the weekend. So so we'll see. It seems like we're going to see him at some point, but getting a bit closer. I think the fact that he's working out is a positive because it's an upper body injury that he's had. Um, we'll see where it's at. Thought to be a shoulder injury. The fact he's working out is not a, is not a negative, obviously. But I think we're all antsy to see Philip Heronic play. Can't wait. I know we talked a great deal about the contract today. Uh, and someone's texting in here, uh, 650-650, because we're talking about outperforming contracts. Uh, this unsigned text, Heronic will cost 7.5 mil. I encourage you to go listen to the first bit of Canuck Central today. We talked about the contract. 7.5 mil is Morgan Riley money. If, you, if you're getting $7 million, you have Norris votes in your locker. Yeah, but... That just does not exist for Philip Ronan. The argument people are making is that Vancouver gave up a lot, the bargaining position is not in, in Vancouver's side, and the leverage is with the player. And that's something that... So, uh, Elliot Friedman, 
Uh, here's his thought from his 32 Thoughts article, which is posted on sportsnet.ca. There is a Canuck note, at least one note we found. Josh Elliott Wolf sent it over to us, our producer, because, you know, we're busy talking, so he's busy reading and sending us the notes. But here is Elliott Friedman on the 32 Thoughts article online about where Vancouver's at and also Philip Peronik. So this is Elliot Friedman, and I quote, Vancouver hasn't given up on moving out at least one big contract this summer. Apparently, Philip Peronik's been on the Rutherford-Alvin radar for a long time. I'm guessing Steve Eisenman remembered that. It's a big price to pay and hands, hands contract leverage to the player, but the Canucks really like him. With Peronik in Vancouver, Detroit's right side now looks thin after Moritz Sider, something the Red Wings will need to address. So that's Elliot Friedman on Philip Peronik. And what everybody talks about is the contract leverage is in the player's hands. What does that mean? As much as it means, yes, it's favorable to Heronic, he's going to get as good a contract as possible, I'm not necessarily sure that means he's guaranteed to get a contract north of $7 million. Based on the precedence and based on what, what, what the market realities are for players like him at that age range. The difference between a couple of guys, and we talked about this earlier, like it's fair. It's like, hey, you gave up two top 40 picks for me. Pay me. Here's the difference. When Jacob Truba was traded, didn't have a contract. So they had to give it to him right away. Justin Falk was traded, didn't have a contract. They had to do it right away. And you go through other guys that have been in that scenario where if they're getting moved, yeah, okay, you can give up a little bit of leverage and the new team has to show it. Seth Jones was another one. Didn't have a contract when he was traded. Chicago had to pay out big time. Philip Ronick is a year away from being able to negotiate. Or he can negotiate this summer, but if he wants his real leverage, real leverage is when your contract expires. Yes. He's a year away from that. And as time goes by, you're going to lose some of that leverage because now your your usage, your your precedent of data of how you play on the ice increases. And the connection will be able to point out and be like, hey, we traded you for this. Now there's proof of performance where... You were kind of the same guy. They can control that usage too, where if he plays on a second line outside of Quinn Hughes, second pair outside of Quinn Hughes, doesn't get power play one time. Like, if if Philip Bronick has the same season that he's always had, which is about 35, 40, 45 40 points. points, some shortened years because of COVID. And 50, but a lot 60. of power play one time yes. during that stretch. Yes. If he essentially performs at his 5-on-5 five five rate, which is about one point for 60 minutes, it comes out to about... 27 points, even strength, and then let's say another 10 to 14 on power play two, whatever. If he has a sub 40 point year, where is he going to be able to claim seven million dollars for? Or like seven times eight? And and here's the number: like he can sign an eight year deal at 6.25 million. That's 50 million in total. A lot of money. That that's like quadrupling his career earnings, which is still huge. So. Ultimately, we'll see what happens. And the reason we had this discussion, because there's a lot of discourse about how the Canucks have to pay Euronic 7 to $8 million per year. And we're like, is that actually true? So we dug into it. Bick really went deep on the numbers. So I, I, I suggest go and check that out on the Canucks Central feed to, to get an understanding of what we meant in terms of where the money could be going. Long story short, I'm excited to see the player. Yeah, very excited to see him. There are some stylistic fits that counter off of Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of this season, I'd like to see him play with Quinn Hughes. I don't know if that's going to be a reality for next year. Uh, But there are elements to his game that I'm excited to see the defensive side of his game because I I think there's offensive potential in him. 
spot. I want to see where he is defensively. What kind of strides has he made? Because he is a dash 87, it should be pointed out. There has always been some big struggles in Detroit. Uh, so Patrick Alvine wanted to claim that he's made big strides in his defensive game. That's what I want to see when he finally does wear a Canucks uniform. How much of his, how much of his improvements are sticky that mm-hmm. we can see beyond this season? Because if they are, the Canucks could be uh, having another really strong player, and they need somebody on the back end, especially on the right side, and we'll see if Philip Perona truly is that solution. Dan and Brentwood, I really thought Tockett was going to be patient and, and push for details and play everyone like a training camp and not worry about results. Would you play top uh, guys 25-30 minutes in preseason? No. So why are Hughes and P the first in ice time in the entire league under Tockett? It's like he can't help himself trying to win every game. RIP Tim Team Tank. That's Dan and Brentwood. A lot of people feel in the same way about uh, the Canucks playing their players too much. Are, are, are we putting Aronik on the power play instead of double-shifting Hughes? That's the question. I think, like uh, the coach mentioned, that once they get Aronik in and perhaps Ethan Bear, that may stabilize the defense a bit and they may not have to play Quinn Hughes as much. I guess we'll see it to believe it and the urge may be too strong to not have Quinn Hughes out there, but given the fact that the Canucks tonight have Noah Juleson, Christian Willannon, Guillaume Brisebois and Kyle Burrows, where only one of those players was thought to have broken camp with the team as a number eight defenseman. So we're, we're talking about the Canucks, what, at their 12th player on the depth icing, chart? Yeah. They're, they're icing their 12th, 11th, 10th, and 9th best defenseman on depth chart. Like That's kind of where the Canucks find themselves, right? So I can understand, but I'm with Dan in his overall sentiment, though. Probably want to get some of this ice time under control. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Why are we paying a second pairing demon eight million? That's what Horvat wanted. <laughs> I mean, and you know, that's good shout. If you're play- playing, it all comes down to minutes, right? I'm fine with if Verona comes in and doesn't get signed this year and proves that he can score forty five, fifty points and be an ace and and carry his own D pair. Heck, I'll 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 help him sign the check. I'm not giving it to him, but I'll help him sign it. You know, like. <laughs> I'll hold the pen for you. I have no issues. Sat trying to be the guy on the group project that gets credit. <laughs> I, Does none of the I work. I put my name on it. Yeah. I'll print it for you guys. The printer's on me. Uh, I'll just load up my card and, and we'll print it all out. All right. Uh, <laughs> a lot of text coming in, 650, 650. Uh, we'll try to hit more uh, as the show goes on here. We are going to hear from more Canucks players on the other side. Ian McIntyre, he's going to join us for the final uh, bit of the segment as well coming up. And we are going to hear from JT Miller and Elias Pettersson as well and I know that JT Miller's taken a lot of heat this year Bick and I understand and I want to go back to what the coach said he's been putting in a lot of work too though like I know people think he's been lazy and it's all fair a lot of criticism for him but it seems like not only on the ice but off the ice especially under Tockett where it is JT's really put his best foot forward yeah and I would say a lot of players right like there's a translation to the improvement during games to what you do before the games. It's an input-output. Suddenly start playing better on the ice, you're probably working better off of the ice as well. Credit to all the teams, or all the players, including JT. And we'll get some more as this post-game show goes on. Canucks win 3-2 in overtime. Satin Bick on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Now more of 
the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. For Bovillia to the left circle, Kuzmenko coming to the net set. In front, they score! Elias Pedersen was parked in front, but it's Andre Kuzmenko who shovels it home. And the Canucks take a 2-1 lead. Canucks go on to win 3-2 in overtime over the Anaheim Ducks. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And a lot of reaction as always coming in. Uh, Bernie BD says, wondering what we can take away from the March 8th debut of the Crazy 8s line, Oman, Joshua, and Garland. That's Bernie BD texting in. Yeah, they had a couple of moments. Um, Joshua in on a four check where he chipped it in deep to himself. Yeah. Uh, wins a battle, retrieves it, gets it out front to Oman and slides it across to Garland, who whiffed on the shot or kind of healed it. Yeah. It, it went right to... Uh, it- Dostal. And Garland Dostal. had a yeah, and Gar- Garland had a play. I think it was in the third period off the half wall. We made a really good play. I forget who it was. He was moving the puck towards, but he made a couple of good plays off the wall tonight. Carnal Garland did. So I thought he had a pretty strong game. And Niels Oman and Josh are doing a little bit of something. I'm not sure if that's going to be a real trio long term, but to Burnaby D's point, they were noticeable and had a pretty good game as a trio together. Um, 650-650 craft stop, not that noticeable tonight. Again, that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it's a work in progress. rawness to it. That's why the idea of launching up the depth chart is going to be a while. Um, Kevin and Squamish, jokes for 60. Did you guys know that, uh, did you guys even know that Ronick has a brother named Jeremy? Terrible. <laughs> We'll read. We, we like to read all the jokes for 60, but Kevin and Squamish. Brandon and Poco. Uh, I don't know, man. We might have to scratch it. That's <laughs> all right. Hey, effort, man. He's trying. We're cutting your minutes then at least. Brandon and Poco. <laughs> Brandon and Poco is one of the clubhouse leaders in jokes per 60. Yeah. Like, the, you know, just keeps churning them out. And here's another one. Jim Rutherford said in January, I thought we were tanking. We're pretty close to the bottom. Not anymore. That's, uh, but they're still, what, tied for seventh worst? Yeah. It's like it's, it hasn't, it's barely moved. You know they're tied with Philly now in the uh, draft lottery odds for yeah. seventh and eighth, and obviously St. Louis also has 59 points as well. So all three teams uh, teetering in that spot, yeah, right there. So it could be very easily Canucks uh, wake up in ninth. But I think I know we've said this so much of like, oh, they're probably too far removed. I don't think they're catching Washington. I don't think so either, but we'll see. I mean, the way Thatcher Demko That's playing, that next tier, yeah. Yeah, let's see, let's see. I mean, m- my opinion keeps shifting back and forth in terms of what this team's capable of doing. I'm just going to let, let the results speak for themselves for a right, while. Right, but, okay, like, they're not getting to 80 points. I don't think so, man. No, so they're not. So Washington's six wins away from that. Yeah, they're, they're not going to get there. I don't think so. Uh, Brandon from Brandon from the OP, every time Miller and Petey get on the ice shorthanded, I just pictured a scene from Strep- Step Brothers where John C. Riley says, did we just become best friends? And Will Farrell says, yep. Yeah, Brandon from the OP. So uh, so now JT and uh, PD go from being hated stepbrothers to best friends. Apparently. I guess so. Apparently. That, well, that's the joke that's being, yeah. If JT keeps uh, converting on chances that uh, Pedersen sets up. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how just getting a couple of W's changes people's perspectives. It does. That's it, the it, thing. It's like... Is is there some sourness sometimes amongst the players these last couple of years? Probably. You know what else happens? They lose. 
they've lost a lot. Yes. No, no, they have. They really have. Uh, before we get to Elias Patterson, here's one from Matt in Toronto. If these defensemen are 9-12 to 12 on the depth chart, pretty sure we can get rid of more than a few from numbers 3-8. to eight. Eight. Juleson and Breezewell have been more reliable than anything we've seen all season, and Willannon and Burroughs are both NHL defensemen. Responsibility abounds with these gentlemen. Even if they're on a good team, they're not namely enough to crack the lineup. They're responsible and reliable, like how Jalen Chatfield is thriving in Carolina. These guys have potential to work together as a collective very well. That's Matt in Toronto. Like so, the thing you got to keep in mind too is it's a degree of difficulty. It's the stakes. It's also what you're asking these players to do. The only way this blue line works is if you're playing Quinn Hughes twenty at least twenty five to twenty eight thirty minutes a game. You can't do that. Because these guys can't handle those types of minutes. Yeah, Christian will not have played 20 minutes tonight and acquitted himself well. He played 20 minutes the other night. Who are the two teams they faced? A Preds team that sold like four of their good players at the deadline that are going a completely different direction. They were a toothless team the other night. And the Anaheim Ducks, who have the second worst team record in the league. I'm not trying to downplay what these guys are doing, and, and that's that's how it comes off. Like I like a lot what they're doing, I and mean, we've been giving Willana a lot of credit. I would pump the brakes on what you're seeing in a small sample in this circumstance with these defensemen as them being parts of the solution. I'm fine with Juleson coming back on a deal next year or being part of a guy fighting for a spot. I'm fine with Willana coming back. I'm fine with Burroughs coming back on a cheap deal again next year. Sure, bring these guys back. Let them fight for spots. But I'm not banking on any of these guys breaking camp with the blue line next season. You need to have players at a higher level there. I think part of the reason they look so impressive is the team finally plays some level of cohesive hockey, which I think helps out. And they've played so poorly as a defensive unit this season that this looks like a massive upgrade. But it's still not good enough. I'm going to start calling Philip Hronik the palate cleanser. Because mm. I think everyone just needs to have their palate cleansed a bit. They've overpaid on... Myers and OEL, and you're like, what are you doing? This isn't top four D-men. And suddenly what ends up happening is the depth guys who are doing decent, like, all oh, these guys, regular NHLers, give them one-way deals, play them. And, and you've seen the Oscar Fantenbergs. You've seen the Jordy Benz, and you've seen the – what are the recent D-men have we had here? Whatever. Like like the depth Derek Pouliot's. Yeah, but I mean, that one didn't work at all. Just like the, the depth <laughs> D-men that are just like surviving. This idea, it's like, oh, like these guys are regular everyday NHLers. And Brad Hunt, right? Yeah, you can get by with these guys, but is that how you build a decor? And I think when Philip Ronick arrives, it's just going to be a palate cleanser. It's like, oh, right. This, this, is, is, what, this is what a second pairing d-man should look like this is what another qualified top D-man four d-man should looks look like. like yeah and when that when that comes in you're gonna look at it and say yeah those guys were playing minutes but were they influencing the game and that's what's important here some of these guys can eat up minutes and i want them as you said i want them in the organization yeah organizational depth great and every time kyle burroughs comes in smile on his face active participant wants to be involved in the game physical i get it is he eating minutes or is he influencing the game? And I want to find guys who do the latter. Even even on a third pair, you need to find guys who do the latter or try to find guys who do the latter. And right now, a, a bunch of the depth players are eating minutes and they're doing honorable minutes. But that's what it is. Well, it is, right? And I mean... Even over these past over this past little while, I mean, Tyler Myers has played considerable minutes. I mean, essentially since Rick Tockett has taken over, Tyler Myers has played 17 games. He's averaging almost 22 minutes of ice time. He's still minus 12. 
But he's still playing. Like the coach, even with all those guys here, he's still throwing Myers out 20, 23 minutes tonight, 21 minutes the other night. And he's still a dash most of these nights, 25 minutes, dash one. Why is he playing him 25 minutes when those other guys are there? Because he still feels like he gives them a better chance. Until we see those players, whether it's a Burroughs or a Willan, and we see Burroughs do it from time to time and has struggled. But until we see those guys get those types of minutes and how they handle it, it's hard to say you're a better team with these guys playing bigger Wait, minutes. Wait, sorry, did you say Dash 12 since Rick Toggett's been here? Yeah, last 17. Well, tonight, I, I, don't, have to, I don't have tonight's game, actually. Uh, Tyler Myers was even tonight. So, yeah, so he's yeah, Dash 12 after the last 18 games. He's Dash 12. And he has one assist over, over that stretch. Yeah. But his coach is still playing him. In these last few games, yeah. 22, like, you know, he, he's played back to that Boston game, 24 minutes, 25 and a half, 23, 22, 24 almost, 22, and tonight, 23 and Tyler Myers up to 23 and a half minutes, right? So keep that in mind when, when we look at these defensemen and saying, oh, these guys are better than those other guys here. Well, Lannis still played 20 minutes tonight, not getting the same matchups, not getting the same degree of difficulty. Guillaume Brisebois, 15.52. Noah Juleson, 16.01. Cal Burrow's a bit higher, 20.5, like 20, 21 minutes almost. So just keep that in mind. And I like everything they've done, but until we see those guys be thrown into the deep end, it's hard to say what truly Vancouver has in those depth players in terms of being everyday NHL players. Now, up front, the Canucks have been doing their thing offensively all season, and a player who's putting together quite the sensational year is Elias Pettersson. He had uh, another two helpers on the evening. He is now up to, uh, what, 70, oh, uh, 80, 81 points on the season now? For Elias Patterson, I believe it is 81 points on the season uh, for Elias Patterson in 62 games. So he's guaranteed to be a point per game player this year. And what are her, and here are his thoughts after the Canucks win 3-2 in overtime over Anaheim. Yeah, it feels good. I think we're um, we're doing more good things than bad things. Um, yeah, keep building on it. What did you make of the overall team performance tonight? I think it was uh, we tried to. We felt we had a lot of awesome times. So we tried to maybe be make the perfect play um, instead of maybe sh- shooting the puck and get pucks there net. Um, but overall, okay game, but um, yeah, we can do better. Another shorthanded goal. Do you, like, is there a different mindset now when you guys are killing penalties to even, like, think offense? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a read, like, see um, when there is a chance to play offensive on the PK. Uh, and um, that uh, situation, I felt the goal only had one play, and I was pass it between men. I was lucky enough to hit my shaft, and I found Miller. So, was that something you'd seen that he was likely to do, or was it just like you said, just? Oh, it's just guessing or reading. Uh, yeah, I, they only had one guy back, uh, one guy home, and he was behind me, so he had to pass it through me. Luckily, I was able to. Uh, Interceptor. After all the talk about how much the penalty kill has struggled this year, how nice is it to make a positive difference in these games on the PK? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been um, it's been a pretty negative, or hasn't been our best aspect uh, during the season. So, um, but overall, I think we're, we killed a f- five on three today, and uh, yeah, PK has been a lot better in recent games. You got to thirty the other night. He gets to 30 tonight. I mean, nobody really knew what to expect from this guy coming in this year. I mean, what, what, what kind of accomplishment is 30 goals? I mean, it's it's huge. I mean, it's his first year. Um, I mean, he showed uh, what skill set he has and uh, what a goal scoring touch he has. Uh, today was a little lucky off, off their skates, uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's, a, he's just a pure goal scorer. 
on the shorthanded play, when did you spot JT, or did you hear him? When did you know he was in the slot? Before I passed him. <laughs> but, no, I had a feeling he would uh, be there. Um, and I looked up, and he was yeah, wide open. So. You know, lead the league with eight shorthanded points. Does it make it easier putting up points when you're playing on the PK with a guy like JT? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, my pass wasn't the best to him, but I still f- uh, find a way to... Um, still find a way to score it so um, yeah and how nice is it to have uh, three wins in a row at home in front of the fans yeah it's it's nice I mean we haven't performed and uh, as we wanted this year so uh, I'm happy we got three wins for them that is Canucks forward Elias Patterson uh, talking about a three game winning streak but said hey they can still do a lot of things better than what they did tonight and clearly I mean as much as We've talked about the incremental improvements and a lot of things the Canucks have done that are that, that is better. I don't think anybody should rationally believe this team has quote unquote figured it out or that, you know, they're close to turning the corner in a massive way. A lot of positives are there, right? And I've tried very hard to not use this phrase, but I gotta pull it out again. Multiple things can be true at the same time. You can make incremental improvements you can take steps in the right direction you start building habits you can start getting players to define to define roles and creating a better environment a safer space like you mentioned Vic in terms of allowing players to be the best versions of themselves and still understand that that work is in the very early stages and still needs a lot of more time and attention for it to be complete in terms of that progress with the players that are currently here their development and the steps they have to take and then the obvious one the roster construction side of things, the other moves that have to happen, and I mean, everything else that has to get done in terms of clearing the money and getting the assets you need to go and find the other pieces this team requires to take that next step. And that's very obviously something they have to do. You can't figure all that out today, right? You can't figure all that out in one offseason, perhaps even. There's a lot of work that has to happen. But as much as a lot of things are positive with how the Canucks have played, we still look at a team that has a lot of trouble doing a lot of basics still. And that's why no matter how much they're working hard and you hear guys be positive about things, I don't think they're fooling themselves into thinking they're a complete team yet. Just look at even their first period tonight. I mean, they gave up what? Well, three the first period Nashville too yeah. and, and tonight. I yeah. mean, this is a bad Anaheim Ducks team. They could have been up 3 nothing. In the first few minutes, Max and the, Jones had a breakaway. Ryan Strom had a uh, two-on-one. And hey, we see what happened. Hey, this team's come back from that before, but they've also shown trouble coming back from games. So the point being, this game could have easily gone ugly early on. The game against Nashville could have still easily gone ugly early on, but Vancouver was able to kind of get themselves back into it and really relied on Thatcher Demko and some, you know, good opportunistic moments for them to win that hockey. They, I don't think they were necessarily good against Nashville the other night. But they found a way to win that Certainly game. not early. No, right. And tonight, for a lot of the game, they weren't really all that great. And as much as we can talk about systems being improved, they are. There's so much more that has to happen. And I think that's just the reality of where the Canucks find themselves. But, you know, at the same time, I don't want to completely dismiss any little positive they do right now. Because you are seeing players do things whether it's Kuzmenko, Pedersen, JT tonight, or even the guys that are coming up, we mentioned Will Landon on the back end, that do deserve some shine. 
And even last year, I know some people have texted in and be like, here they go again, late season push, we've seen this. Even last year, like we sat here on these post-game shows and we said, you're doing, you're doing it against some backup goalies, you haven't really performed well, and it was still Thatcher Demko kind of carrying the, the load, and it was, you know, for some post-game shows we sat here, so that wasn't really that impressive of a performance because the other team was better, but Thatcher Demko was the one that shined. Come the offseason, what did management say? They weren't that impressed with the 57 games. Well, and they shouldn't have been. These performances here recently are just functionally better than what we saw last year. Because what we saw last year carried over into this year, and they were playing the same defense, and suddenly Thatcher Demko wasn't a Vezina-level goalie. And I don't need to restate what happened at the beginning of the year. If this carries over and the intensity also ratchets it up, that's going to be the thing. If they have to up the intensity mm-hmm. at the start of next year when guys are coming flying out of the gates to begin the year. That's just what happens across the league. The opening seven, ten games, everyone's charged up. The season's back. Everyone's going. And then it goes into the little wanes and picks back up later on in the season. But if they match the intensity with this type of overall structure in defensive play, this is the stuff that can carry over. Vibes, which was what last year was, vibes wane. Well, they do, especially it, after four months off. You know what? You know what I liken it to? It's kind of like, it's kind of like study habits. If if you're somebody that stays up with your studying, right, and you're following everything, you probably do well in your final exam. If you're cramming for your final exam, you might get away with it a couple times, but sometimes you're just not going to be able to cram in, right? And what happens? It, it's bad habits, and it forms, and at some point, it all catches up with you, right? At the very least, if your habits are proper then you're not relying on this huge cram session at the very end to make or break your entire year. And what happens if you have a bad night right before cramming for your final exam? You're not feeling good. You didn't retain everything. You had a bad sleep. Then you're screwed because you didn't put the work in, right? What happened last year? Same thing, leaving it to the very end. You cram it in, but you don't have a basis, a foundation you're working on day in and day out that you rely on. So those are the things that are foundational pieces that we talk about that are positive. And again, like I, I think... It's it's so funny because we're having these discussions, and I think there's a lot of nuance to it, but the nuance gets lost, and you see it in the text inbox. This one says, okay, okay, I get it. When they win, they don't win right. No, no nobody said they're not winning right or we're taking anything away from the victories. It's more about how the team is built, how the team is playing, and how much of this is repeatable, like Bick mentioned, at the start of next season and throughout the season. And as much as you're seeing positives, a lot more has to happen for you to be convinced that next season they can hit the ground running in the fall and be a type of team that's going to be able to do something. Yeah, this one's big. That's nuts. It's all garbage time. Man. Yeah, no, look, of course it's garbage time. <laughs> but the guys aren't going to not try. What It'd be like, to? look, us coming to work right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's garbage time. You know what? We're just going to... Let's talk NFL, Bick. Let's, we, you should, you know, let's do that for two hours. Yeah, you know, you know This what? is garbage time. It doesn't matter. You know what the easiest show to do for us is? Honestly, the easiest show is open up the phone boards, take any call you want. Right. Call, call, call. Let me just take calls. And not talk about anything. Yeah. I can. I, we can just play all the player audio we want. I can sit here and read stats. I can sit here and go through every single minute of every single player's stats. Is that doing a good show? Is that just reading whatever you can read yourself? Again, we would be fulfilling two hours for you. But would we, would we be doing our job? No. These guys are going to show up, and they're going to try to get better. You know why? Because they're not just worried about your fandom. They're worried about their own paycheck. They're worried about, hey, am I going to stay in the league? I'm a, we talked about 12 D-men. Christian Wilanen, we had him on earlier. What did he say? Thankful about the coaching experience he's had. Very thankful. Do you think Christian Wilanen is like, 
you know, if I don't try today, the people that are texting in right now are going to be a bit happier. Or should I try to maybe get a one-way contract across the league right now? Yeah. What do you think he's doing? He's what do you try. think is important to these players? And that's the thing I don't get. It's like, okay, it's garbage time, and you're 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 frustrated. You're mad. Like, totally. But you have to respect the ecosystem that this is all in, that your fandom exists in, that these people try for a living. It's yeah. their job to do it. And if you don't respect that, then I, I don't respect your opinion. Simple as that. If if you can't get it in your head that these people try, then I don't respect the opinion. Yeah, you know what? Like that's, that's a great take. And the other thing about it too is I'm though, done living in fear of the people that don't want to try. That only, and also just the, the nuance again that's being missed here. I mean, it's all garbage time. Yeah, it, it's garbage time for the season. But what's different between between playing vibes hockey last year where they literally relied on goaltending. Even down the stretch when they won a lot of games, they scored goals, but we we had discussions with Kevin Woodley where he broke down. He brought the clear sights analytics numbers and said, hey, despite the fact they're winning a score or more, but like, they're still giving up the same types of chances. They're, they're getting saves and they're creating offense, but it's this is not good hockey. Like this is not If you play this way, you're not going to be successful. There you're were, not. There were massive warning signs yeah. last year. And we talked about them. And we said, hey, for this team next year to take the, take the step, they're going to actually have to do a lot better in that area. They have to find something. They have to hone in on it over training camp. And their systems play has to become more predictable. And if it does, they can be successful, right, if they buy into playing a certain way as a team. That never happened last year. They didn't show any signs of it. Now they're showing some little signs of it. There's some positives. But that's... Still not going to guarantee that next year it's going to get figured out. But there is a clear difference between what we saw then and what we're seeing now. 650-650. Renfrew Marco. Uh, Marco. What is Anaheim saying? Hey, you think the players in Anaheim are psyched? They're excited. They're, they're very excited. Yeah, of course teams will finish in the bottom five. Yeah, it, it, it happens. And they're losing naturally. Yeah, but, how, but, yeah, but they're but, trying. But who's losing on purpose? They're trying. But again, you're you're right. Like, I'm with you, man. Like, the thing I would try to control more than anything is Thatcher Demko starts. To me, the rest of the season, two things. One is don't overplay your guys. I can understand the circumstances for why it's happening, but don't overplay your guys. And the other one is Thatcher Demko getting too many starts. But outside of that, like, I don't. <laughs> you're asking for certain. Okay. But how how Marco's how, just like flooding the inbox right now. But how are you going to finish in the bottom three? You're I don't asking understand. for certainty when we're talking about things that are probabilities. Yeah, how do you guarantee to finish in the bottom three by trying to lose hockey games? Every game, it just there's odds for every game, right? Like they're underdogs, favorites. It's probability of who might win. They're still going to try, and some games are going to come up with W's, and some games I don't know how to explain competition to people. It's like <laughs> there's a fifty-one percent chance they might win tonight. And you're asking for 100% chance of defeat. It's not going to happen. It's just, I can't live in that world. All right. He's fired up. And let's bring you in, Ian McIntyre, into the conversation. No time for the intro because we've got to get right into exactly. it. Exactly. I'm late. I'm you, sorry. No, it's, hey, listen, you got work to do. Game, the game didn't start to like 7.22. And Believe it or not, after that game, it took some work to do some writing to figure out what <laughs> what what was I, <laughs> what exactly are the takeaways from this. Well, and you know what, and I think a lot of a lot of fans are frustrated because they want the high pick, right? But there's literally frustration over like why are these guys trying to win this game. It's like what what are they supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, well, this is for profit competitive sports. I don't know how else to explain it. Well, you wouldn't want players to not try, right? Yeah, I mean. 
What would be your version? Like we tried explaining our version of what not trying is on the show. We would just read the box score. Well, the player. Oh, what would you? What would oh, your you, version of an minute, article be? Minute. You guys are trying. <laughs> we just <laughs> make I it thought, look so easy. I thought you we were going been, for a high draft pick. Are we tanking the season? Really? Oh yeah, we've been oh. tanking. <laughs> oh well, uh, I you like just, your efforts. Good, I guess. <laughs> good job. Good effort. Yeah, you know what? It's you, if you're gonna tank, it's obviously done managerially and maybe coaching decisions about who I mean you've you've got franchise cornerstones on this team now like you don't need to go find them in the draft you already have some here Mm -hmm. you want those guys playing the best that they can play and then you have all the other guys who are trying to show something be something do something so unfortunately Gosh darn it! You're gonna have these guys trying right till the end. I mean, what, I mean, and people are mentioning, hey, maybe don't play Demko as much, and and fair enough, maybe don't play him too too much down the stretch or whatever. But in terms of handling ice time, is that a fair criticism? Is is Talkett playing his guys too much? Maybe tonight not as much. JT at 20 minutes. Elias Pettersson uh, clocked in. Um, at let's see here. This is great radio, by the way. Seventeen twenty-two, and uh, you know Quinn Hughes obviously played a lot at twenty-five thirty-one, and that was still uh, despite taking a puck to the face and leaving for a few minutes. Is that a fair criticism? Is is the coach running guys too hot in quote-unquote meaningless games? I think you know it, it's a fine line. Like Quinn Hughes shouldn't be playing, you know, close to thirty minutes these days. But on the other hand, look at the look at the defense they're rolling out. By the way. <laughs> For people who think the Canucks aren't doing enough to tank or try to lose, look at the lineup. Brock okay. played more than PD tonight. Like, what are we talking about? There, there are there are eight players in the lineup, including Dealey, the backup, who who have been in the American Hockey League this season. Look at their defense right now. And and I'm not I'm not disparaging the guys who are playing their asses off. But, you know, what are the options if you're not going to play Quinn Hughes 25 minutes? So, Noah yeah, Juleson, come on down. Well, listen, I, I, can, I, can, I can see the argument. I can see that argument a lot more than I can see, you know, why are the players trying, mm-hmm. you know. And I think there's a couple of games where maybe the ice times have been too high. But you have to remember what Tockett is trying to teach. What, you know, this culture that eluded them for so long – you know, years, in yeah. fact, they're trying to have a meritocracy. They're trying to have the guys who are are playing the best and doing all the things that are asked of them, they're going to be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so your best players, Pedersen has been an MVP candidate. Well, if the team was a playoff team, he'd be in the heart yeah. uh, conversation to see who would finish second or third or fourth behind McDavid. Um, like that's how good he's been. So you you can't you can't tell him now don't be good. And uh, honestly, these guys aren't going to be happy if they're doing everything that's demanded of them and asked of them, and yet they have their ice time cut back. Mm-hmm. You know because it it, it kind of breaks the trust. It, it it breaks the the compact between coach and players about about mm-hmm. accountability and rewards. So. This is what you have. Six, two, and one in the last nine. And that's why a Hart Trophy candidate got 49 seconds more than Phil DiGiuseppe today. Boy, they're really trotting out all the stars right now. 
You know, uh, you know and, and, uh, and uh, Rafe is saying, you know, it's about testing other guys and seeing young guys can play bigger responsibilities, handle bigger responsibilities. And I understand the giving guys opportunities, but at the same time, what you also mentioned when it comes to meritocracy, not just meritocracy, but also if a player can't handle bigger minutes, what's the purpose of giving him the bigger minutes? But they, like Kyle Burrows played 20 minutes tonight. Well, Christian no, Alanian um, played the, 20 uh, minutes tonight. Like, who the, are we talking about? That's the back Kravstov end. Kravstov and, and put Coles in? Got to play 17 minutes? I'd say, the, I'd say I think the only thing you can say is the forwards, right? Say, hey, maybe you play guys like Kravstov and put Coles in a bit more and you bring the ice time of the other guys down a little bit. But if you're not ready to handle playing top six minutes yet, should you be playing top six minutes? That's the thing I wonder about. And, and from, from, for years, we've been sitting here and saying the Canucks have been handing guys opportunities in ice time without playing the right way. And look at what that's brought them. Look at the habits that's brought them. Yeah. You can't have it both ways, right? Like they played more than Dakota Joshua tonight. Yeah, I, I don't think that put Colson and Kraftsov or the Canucks young players should be playing top six minutes just for the sake of it. I don't think that's a good way of developing these players. If they earn it and they're playing like they can handle it, great, go ahead. But everything I've seen from Kraftsov, a lot of good things. He's a raw player. I wouldn't trust him to play 16 minutes right now. Well, it, it again, it, it sort of breaks breaks the trust. It breaks what what uh, Talkett is trying to teach. It just to doesn't just, come from a place of credibility. To just, to just give guys... Minutes, they, they they have to earn the minutes, and we have seen in the past, and a lot of people don't want to hear this. We've seen in the past that quote unquote just playing the kids, for instance, which is mm-hmm. was a mantra a few years ago. It doesn't help the kids, and it doesn't help your team. Mm-hmm. And if they're not playing the right way, that's why there's so much remedial work going on right now. That's why Nils Hoaglander is still in the American Hockey League. Vasily Podkolzin was in the American Hockey League for two months. It's why Nils Amon started this season here, was a revelation making the team, and then went to the minors for a while to learn, to figure out what it is you have to do on a daily basis, every practice, every game, and get yourself ready. And when you have those habits instilled, then you can come up to the National Hockey League and play and we've seen excellent examples of that in Guillaume Brisebois mm-hmm. and Christian Wolanin for all that you know and and I'm guilty of it five minutes ago I ta- said well look at the defense they have because these guys haven't been mm-hmm. in the NHL players but look at how r- refined they are they're not stars but look at how there's a a completeness to the way they play that may ultimately not be good enough to get them uh, any the NHL careers they want, but but for now, they're fine playing what they're playing for this team because they have a maturity. They understand how the game is supposed to be played. Uh, Phil Di, Di Giuseppe is another great example of that. Is never going to be anybody's star. He's still trying, looking for full time employment, pushing age thirty, but he. He understands what it is he needs to do if he wants to try to have that mm-hmm. career. And a lot of these younger guys, you have well, all the younger guys, you have to teach them. They're still teaching Kizmenko. A month ago, he had 10 minutes in a game. Today, he had 15. But 15, I think, is the second lowest he's played since the 10. And in a bunch of games, he's been 18, 19. Mm-hmm. I think a couple he got to 20 minutes. He's still learning. And look at all the talent that he has. But he's still learning, and he says he's learning. I talked to him after on my own. He says, 
Talkett's a good coach. He tells him every day, work, work, work. And he says, this is what I need to do because we want our team to get better. I'm paraphrasing now. Yeah. We want our team to get better, and I have to be a better player for that to happen. We want to be in the playoffs next year. I have to play defensively as well as offensively. And that's an incredibly talented guy. So you can imagine people with less experience in pro hockey and a lot less talent than what he has, and in some cases less awareness than what Kuzmenko shows how much teaching has to has to go on. No, totally, right? And and I understand, like Greg says, what does it say about a franchise when for the last 10 years they go on runs when games don't matter? It means not, they've had a lot of losing here. The team's been really bad for a lot of years, and, and fans are sick and tired of it. I, hey, you've seen the same story, and I don't fault you for thinking it's going to have the same result next year, right? So I understand. and But that's what happens when you've been a bad team for the better part of a decade. You don't have a lot of goodwill, and when teams, when you've seen the same story about winning some meaningless games, there is a collective eye roll to it, and that's why, no matter what we see this year, it all comes down to what do you show us in training camp at the start of next season. Well, uh, uh, you know who the games aren't meaningless to. The, who's who? To whom are these games most important to? Of anybody in the organization, who's who's Rick talking? Mm-hmm. All of this is foundational for next season. He's trying to get a head start. The people who want them just to screw around for the last, what are we, month and a week, five weeks or so, want them just to experiment, play anyone and whatever, just lose. How is that going to help them be ready in October? Then they go through. If you don't do it now, you'll be doing it then. And you end up losing at the start again. So they're trying to figure out how to play now. So that when we all come back here next October, the team is ready to go and they're not playing from behind. They're not chasing like they seem to have been for 50 years. That's how important it is to talk it, to get the team playing well. And again, he's not trying to win the games. He's trying to get his team playing well. And of course, if they do that, they have enough talent. They're going to win a lot of games. And we're seeing that. I think, you know, the other thing in a game like tonight, you really got to work to lose to Anaheim. And, and I thought Anaheim, Anaheim played better than I thought they would, especially yeah. defensively. But it's not easy to lose to Anaheim. No, it's not. Like, and as far they as... They had the, 22 shots on goal. It's like, that was better than I thought. Well, they, they You're right. I, they I, I agree with cha- you. They weren't as chaotic in, in their own zone. Yeah. No. You know, as, as I thought they, were, they might be. And, and as I've seen them be at times this year. But then the other games recently, you, you want your team. Don't you want them to compete against Boston? Don't you want them to compete against Minnesota and and good teams? Of course you do. No, absolutely. deep down in your heart of hearts. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I understand with a lot of reaction on text books. Well, we've gone late because uh, we, we wanted to make up some extra time and here I with I. Up late. It's I all f- good. I feel shame. It's all good. It's all good. We, we, we should have got- cut your minutes. Tonight. <laughs> I know. You know what? <laughs> Exactly, and I would have deserved it. This should have been a ten-minute night. Well, I think it is a ten-minute. We got we got a ten minutes. We have that in common. Exactly, ten ten minutes. My my wife told me that I need to shut up because she thinks that I keep talking when you guys are trying to end the show. (laughs) But I've got so much to say. The the last ninety seconds when we're trying to end the show is actually part like some of my favorite stuff this year. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now you're encouraging him. Talking about like ticket to ride and (laughs) stories of. Ian's career and, and things like that. Yeah. You got to you got to try ticket to ride India. 
I have. So. Oh, uh, oh, no, really? I've tried Europe, yeah. Yeah, the India, Europe's good, but the India-Switzerland expansion pack is fantastic because right. they're polar opposite kind of games. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. It sounds yeah. good. All right, uh, great stuff as always, Ian. Uh, can't wait to read your latest on sportsnet.ca. there's a lot of cities on there. the board. <laughs> I can imagine. India. Yeah, I can imagine. A populace of, what, 1.5 billion? I think, I think we've uh, is it gone two past billion? two now. Is it two? Wow. Maybe. Maybe. Really? I, I haven't been a while. Has India passed China? Did I miss this? That happened years ago, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. World events. That. We learn new things. I should have pretended that I knew that because it seems like something I should have known. <laughs> you didn't know either, though, Sat. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, you're right. 1.5. Oh, Bix oh. doesn't know either. So they haven't Ian, passed. I, I thought it was past two. What's China? You know what it is? It's past the show end time. That's the problem here right uh, now. 1.4. <laughs> what does anyone else have to do this time of night? I don't know. But Josh listen, is like, but, I need to go home. But listen to us. <laughs> Josh Elliott will. He's like, I need to go home. <laughs> I right. could do this all night. Yeah. All right. It's funny. Bick and I were like, we're kind of hitting a wall at 11. Now we get like this, uh, this the second or third win, whatever you want to call it. All right. Great stuff. Make sure to read Delirious Ian's latest on, on sportsnet.ca. Bick is back to the people show tomorrow. What's happening? Brad May. May Day. Every uh, Thursday. All right. I'm back on Canuck Central with Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott Wolf taking the day off. And also special thanks to Josh and Lena here. And all of you listening and being part of the post-game show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.